today on Ag News Daily. My favorite part is letting all my hard work pay off that I've done throughout the summer and showing everybody what I have done and how hard I've worked. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here from the co-hosts of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am Mike Pearson, joined as always today by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing on this toasty Friday? Well, I'm sitting in my car again, Mike, so I could be doing better. Well, I'm sitting outside because my house oh. had no breeze moving through it, and I still have no air conditioning. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You're feeling it, too. It is. Living the dream, I tell you what. You're going to be sweating out. You're probably just going to look so lean and trim next time I see you because of your sweating sitting outside and in your hot house. Well, you know, you think that because <laughs> I also, obviously, I eat a lot uh. less when I'm extremely yeah. hot. Yeah. I drink copious amounts of water and I can't seem to stay hydrated. But, um, you know, at about midnight when the temperatures go down enough, I just stuff my face with all the food. Oh, jeez. That's so healthy. it's probably a push, mm. you know, day in and day out. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But Delaney, I'm really excited. Today is a Friday. We are missing intern Madison Honkamp here on the introduction. But we're going to hear from her a little bit later, aren't we? Yeah, I'm excited. She threw this idea at us, and I think it's a great idea. It'll be a great way to see her uh, interview skills, what she's learned from us, if she's learned anything. Hopefully she's learned something, but she is catching up with some 4-H and FFA members talking about County Fair Week because it is here for a lot of folks or right around the corner, if not. That's right. She's Yeah, I mean, this is that time of year. She's yeah. down at the Madison County Fair in, in Winterset, Iowa, chatting and talking and just hopefully having a great old time. And hopefully all the critters are mm, staying alive and staying cool in this heat wave. I know. That was always the bad thing at county fair time. And you mentioned it on the podcast the other day when you had those animals that got too stressed and would die during county fair. That happened oftentimes at my county fair. Yes. Yes. That's, you know, that's the that's the struggle. And that's what you learn in 4-H and FFA is life is precious. Yes. And delicious. And delicious. Um, so what do you got for news today, Delaney? Well... It has been on the minds of many producers what's going to happen with congressional crop insurance, especially this year out of all years, because a lot of folks are having to take prevent plant and really use crop insurance this year. Um, House lawmakers today launched a congressional crop insurance caucus, which is aimed at building support for the safety net program by increasing. uh, Well, we don't know exactly what they're going to do yet because they have threatened, of course, and Uh, lawmakers have threatened to cut funds for crop insurance, especially as they're debating the 2020 fiscal year budget right now. But they say they are not wanting to cut anything. They're trying to protect it and figure out ways to make it better, especially in the midst of this year. They're expecting plant insurance claims to go over a billion dollars. Jeez. Yeah. You know, this... Gosh, I totally believe it. Just given all the, the the fields that are still being seeded with cover crops here as we approach the end of July, I mean, yeah, there's going to be quite an expense when it comes to prevent plant and and, uh, and crop insurance claims. Yeah, and I was reading something today that was discussing prevent plant. We heard from Undersecretary Northey that he's been quoted multiple times saying 10 million acres is what they're expecting. 
recent estimates are now thinking eight to nine million acres just in corn and two to three in soybean acres, which puts us well above or healthily above the 10 million estimate that Northy is suggesting. And that was conservative estimates from what I read. Yes, I saw a report. It was on, uh, I think it was on AgWeb yesterday that we're looking at roughly 8 million in corn, 3 million in beans, puts us up to that roundabouts 11 million acre total going into uh, prevent plant. Yes, so that is something that we will continue to watch. Right. Well, speaking of plants, a different sort of plant, uh, we've got a report from uh, Reuters. Stephanie Kelly filed this report. She said that U.S. ethanol plants are expected to cut output on, this is not going to shock a lot of our listeners, poor margins and oversupply. We've continued to see a really tough slog in the ethanol industry. We're going on really about year three of a challenging margin environment. We're seeing a lot of the plants change the way they operate, more shutdowns to improve maintenance, do some updates. I mean, do some of those things that they've maybe put off when the margins were good, but that is definitely reducing the overall supply of ethanol. And of course, we've got especially ethanol plants in the Eastern Corn Belt really having to pay up to get corn to their facilities this time of year. That basis story for near-term delivery has been phenomenal in the Eastern Corn Belt, much stronger than usual. And, uh, you know, that certainly doesn't help. And ethanol plants margin. So the big question will be, what is USDA going to do with ethanol demand, you know, corn demand for ethanol, as we look ahead to the, uh, the WASDE in August and then on into September? Because these production declines are expected to... Uh, continue to have an impact. Uh, currently, we are, we've seen U.S. ethanol production fall to a four-year seasonal low. And at the same time, ethanol inventories, or the amount of ethanol that has already been produced and is sitting in tanks around the country, is at its highest level since 2010. So there's just a glut of the stuff out there. Listeners, we've got year-round E15. If you are a supporter of clean air, if you're a supporter of the corn industry, and really, if you just want to burn a cost-competitive fuel, burn that E15. Ask your uh, your local fuel retailer to carry it. Let's chew through this, because if we can get the corn market to start moving again, and move today it did, we'll get to that in the markets, we start to see that flow of funds come back into the ag commodities. And this year, boy, that's what we all like to see, is a couple stories get going, Maybe put a little, put a little steam in this market, and uh, propel us to uh, to some highs. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we certainly saw the markets reacting today, which you said we'll get to here in just a little bit. But the markets may not react so positively to this news that I found today, Mike, and that is China and Russia have been having some silent negotiations, looking at some trade possibilities there. Um, Of course, as U.S. soybean exports to China have plummeted, Beijing has turned to other countries and they're now looking to diversify their supply chain with Russia. They're looking to deepen their trade in soybeans and other agricultural products, according to their commerce, Chinese commerce minister. And they also agreed last month to increase their bilateral trade from $107 billion, which was what they racked up in a hun- in a 2018, they're jumping all the way to $200 billion in bilateral trade anticipated for 2019. 
which is a Wait, huge increase. One hundred and seven. They were at oh, wow, so basically yeah. double. Pretty close to doubling. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. And you know they <laughs> recognize that Russia is probably not going to be a huge soybean producer, a huge soybean partner for them, but. There have also been reports stating their hog herd is down 25% compared to June of last month, so they really maybe don't need as many soybeans. Yes, and that 25% number is coming from the Chinese government. You know, right. We've heard private analysts who are out there in the fields estimated as much as 50% right. down, at least on the breeding stock, and those sows chew through a heck of a lot of meal. Yeah, so something to definitely continue to watch. However, I did see... Um, one interesting report today, too, that was talking about U.S. sorghum, because we know they've also been affected by the trade war. And we saw China make the largest purchase of U.S. sorghum since April of this year, even with a 25% tariff on there. I'm curious as to know why they would continue purchasing U.S. sorghum, because, I mean, I would think that that would be a feedstuff, too. Oh, absolutely. I'm guessing they took a look at, uh, so we never know what China's corn numbers really are. You know, they, they drop these reports and they say, oh, we've got, you know, trillions and trillions of bushels in storage all of a sudden that we just found. And then, you know, we hear from folks who are actually managing that corn in storage and the reports are, no, it's pretty much all terrible. You know, it's, it's moldy. It's gone out of condition, not necessarily suitable for feed without excessive blending. And so then, of course, China steps back into the market. And I wonder, listeners, if you are down in Kansas, Oklahoma, the Texas Panhandle, Western Nebraska, wherever, if you are a sorghum producer, what's the basis situation looking like on sorghum this year? Because I've got to imagine, Delaney, if I'm just reading the market signals, China probably would prefer corn, but they're looking over at these really strong basis numbers for corn and then plus shipping plus the tariff. And they're going, hey, let's just do sorghum. You know, we can eat the 25% tariff, still afford shipping, and maybe mm -hmm. that's why we're seeing uh, those exports jump up. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's reflected very well in the exports that we have. I mean, I know we're not a huge export market for China anyways, but really exports have been dismal lately. And obviously yes. this, this uh, corn market rally or rally over the past couple of months has fed into that, but I'm, I'm guessing you're probably right on the money there, Mike. Absolutely. You know, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, Delaney, which is we've seen China's buying pattern for soybeans shift. You know, this is, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. We talked about it pretty much all over ag media. They stopped purchasing American soybeans, went down to Brazil, buying copious amounts of Brazilian beans. Well, we've got another report from Reuters, and this is an exclusive report. So listeners, if you want to read this in detail, just Google up this headline. Brazil soybeans lose protein, China sales at risk. Ana Mano was the author of this, and basically what she's found is that the protein content in Brazilian soybeans has fallen for the first time in four harvest seasons. So one of the things that Brazil has over the U.S., and we've known this for quite some time, is they tend to produce a higher protein bean. And that has helped China, as they're trying to ship it over there, mill it into meal, or crush it into meal, rather, and they like that higher protein content Technically, given the weakness in the real, they get a better bang for their buck. Well, this year that's starting to change. Uh, protein in uh, Brazilian beans this year has slipped to an average of 36.83%. That's down from 37.14, so they're down about half a point in protein. And uh, that's from last year's crop. And 
we're starting to see Brazilian exporters no longer able to guarantee their minimum protein promises to those Chinese buyers. So the question is, and we haven't seen this manifest itself in export sales yet, but will China continue to take lower protein beans or will they A, cancel the sales altogether, maybe come back to the US, we did have a, a fairly high protein crop this last year, or will they just require Brazilian bean exporters to take a quote unquote haircut on the price? And we would see that reflected throughout the market with a lower basis value all across Brazil, which might in turn, and this is, I'm speculating, might induce Brazilian farmers to quit their harvest increases going into uh, this next growing season. Or China could just look at alternative sources of feedstuffs, I think is the Well, absolutely. One. And so that that's one of the things they are doing. I think that's China's first response is, mm -hmm. okay, let's go to Argentina. Let's, uh, let's look at some other places we can buy beans with comparable protein levels. But I don't have any news on whether those pr uh, protein levels from Argentina are actually meeting their requirements. Oh, okay. Uh, and at the end of the day, both Brazil and Argentina outpace the U.S. Our soybean protein content is typically about 34.2. So Brazil's still about 2.5% higher than we are in terms of protein content. Um, and with, the, with the, the fire sale we have seen in both the Brazilian real and the Argentine peso, you know, those currency trades make a big difference when these importers are looking to buy. So Brazil and Argentina probably still have the upper hand, but we're seeing some cracks in that, uh, that foundation of trade relationship. Absolutely. I think it was kind of inevitable. Kind, kind of unavoidable, you say? Inevitable. Inevitable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just the sheer number of beans they both grew this last year and have exported, you know, they're obviously opting for quantity over quality and uh, just trying to crank them out. And, you know, Brazilian farmers love to have the cash money. So do the Argentinian growers. And, uh, and China has, you know, we know, just been desperate for beans from any place that isn't the U.S. Absolutely, Mike. Well, I'm out of news for today. What else did you have? I am out of news as well. The only okay. other news I've got, Delaney, is this rally we saw yes. in today's markets. What do you say? Should we talk about uh, where prices uh, finished? Absolutely. Today's finally an exciting day for us to talk about. It is, and it's exciting across the complex, both grain and livestock and dairy, all head days in the green. All right, folks, let's talk about this. What does this mean for you? How can this benefit your operation? Call our friends at Zaner and put a plan in place. We've seen some weakness in the market. We've seen some volatility. It's time to manage some of that risk. Give our friends at Zaner a call. You can reach the Ag Hedge Department by calling 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web, Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As we take a look at the grains, corn was an ugly market yesterday. It's your turn to corner today. The shorts got flushed out. Buyers were running the table. September corn was up six and a quarter cents at 430 and three quarters. The December contract up six cents, finished the day at 435 and three quarters. Beans were the big winner on the day. The August contract was up 20 cents and a quarter, finished the day back above $9, closed at 901 and a half. November contract up 20 and a quarter to finish the day at 919 and a quarter. In the wheat pit, Chicago wheat September contract up nine cents at 502. Two and a half. December up eight and a quarter. Finished the day at five thirteen and a half. 
looking over to the world of livestock. As I mentioned, we caught bids throughout the livestock complex in live cattle. The August contract was up 20 cents at 107.60. The October up 25 to finish at 108.50. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 55 cents, closed the day at 139.97.50. September up 32 and a half, finishing the week at 139.80. And in lean hogs, they were the big gainer today. The August contract was up a nice dollar ten on the day to close at 83.87.50. The October up two dollars two and a half cents, closed at 78.92 and a half. Jumping into the world of dairy, I was mistaken. Dairy did have a pullback here to close out the day. The July contract was down two cents, not bad after yesterday's rally. Finished at 17.40, with the August down a nickel to finish the day at 17.64. Without further ado, let's toss it over to in. Turn Madison Honkamp bringing us some updates from the Madison County Fair. For today's Friday interview, I was able to catch up with some exhibitors at the Madison County Fair, starting with Clover Buds and all the way through high school. I am joined with Abby Benchoff and Ellie Paycheck, two exhibitors here. And how are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. I'm good. <laughs> awesome. And what do you guys? What are you guys doing here? So what? did you bring to the fair? I show pigs at the fair. I also show pigs and I brought one gill and one barrow. Um, I brought two barrows and two gilts and then I also brought a carcass pig. Awesome. Okay, so a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with showing pigs. So what do you do to like prepare for the show, for show day? Um, the Sunday before I take my pigs, I clip them, and then every day for the past month or so, I've walked and washed them and cleaned my pens. Abby? <laughs> um, since I've gotten them, I've worked with them by walking them and washing them and making sure their pens are clean and they have clean food and water. Awesome. So then what do you do before the show on show day? So, like, our pig show is Saturday right bright and early in the morning so what are you gonna do saturday morning um well friday night i wash them and clean their pens so that they are clean for that saturday so i don't have to wash them in the morning and then right before i show we water them down so they're all wet and shiny we do something very (laughs) similar um we wash our pigs either saturday morning bright and early or friday night and before the show, we brush them down with hog heaven or something similar to that. Make sure they look good in the ring. So we've heard, you know, how you show. There's a lot of work that obviously goes into showing. And even more for cattle. Have either of you ever shown cattle before? No. Bottle calf. <laughs> Bottle calf. <laughs> so um, obviously you get these pigs, you know, in March. <laughs> for kind of earlier, you know, around spring break. So you're still balancing school and showing and doing all of that stuff to prepare for the fair. So how do you kind of balance that with all of your other activities? Well, we did pig chores later at night. So usually wasn't, so we did sports right after school. And then I did my schoolwork after my practices. And then we just went late at night. Awesome. And Abby? (laughs) Usually I have salt fall practice after school, so I work in the mornings and I feed them at night and walk them at night when it's cool. That's awesome. So you guys are crazy busy. So then what other activities besides, you know, you guys did say sports, are you involved in outside of FFA? 
Um, I'm also involved in student councils, silver cord, and then volleyball and track. Awesome. Okay, and then Abby? Um, I'm in silver cord, student council, 4-H, and I play basketball and softball and run cross country and track. That's awesome. And one final question for you guys today. What is your favorite thing about the Madison County Fair or showing in general? My favorite part is showing with my friends. Ellie is my best friend. It's a lot of fun showing with her, and it's a fun time hanging out with everyone, getting to see everyone. Awesome. Ellie? My favorite part is also all the relationships you make because I've met so many people and made so many friendships that will last a long time. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I am joined with Delaney, and she's going to be talking about her bottle cap with us today. Delaney, are you... What do you do with your, how do you prepare for the fair with your bottle calf? We have to lead um, our, our bottle calves every day around the house and up and down the ring. And what's your bottle calf's name? Bessie. Bessie? Is there any particular reason you named her Bessie? Yes, because I will be showing her next year as a two-year bottle calf, and I'll name her Old Bessie. Awesome. And when is the bottle calf show here at the Madison County Fair? Tomorrow. And are you, how excited are you? Excited. <laughs> and Delaney, so you said you're in third grade. And what school do you go to? Martinsdale. Martinsdale. And what do you do other than uh, taking care of your bottle calf with school? Do you do any sports? I do softball and I'm going to do barrel racing. Awesome, Delaney. And um, how many years have you shown a bottle calf? Um, This is my second year showing, but I showed at the Warren County Fair before last year. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Delaney. Yeah. I am joined now with my brother, Jacob Honkamp. And Jacob, what are you showing at the fair this year? Showing three breeding does and two market steers. So you say doe, but what animal is that? It's a goat. A goat. So many of our listeners might not know, you know, what goes on when you show a goat. So how exactly, what goes into showing a goat? How do you prepare for the show, you know, leading up before county fair? And then obviously, what do you do in the ring then? So before county fair, I rinse at least three times a week and wash at least once a week to get their hide healthy and hair to grow so that I can make their legs look bigger and make the goat more uh, appealing to the judge. And then I also practice setting up the goat to show off the muscle to the judge and so that the goat can look the best it can. And then in the ring, I walk in, set up the goat, and then the judge will tell me to take it in a circle. And then I'll set up in a different place and the it goes on until the judge makes his deci- his or her decision. Awesome. And obviously then you did say you have two steers. And that show is going on today, correct? Yes. And how's that been going for you? Pretty good, but it's a little hot. It is a little hot. My watch says it is 93 degrees and sunny. Um, but, you know, you have steers and goats. And obviously many of our listeners know what goes into might know what goes into showing cattle but can you kind of explain a little bit of that so i rinse twice a day for 30 minutes and then blow dry them off condition their hair every day until county fair and after because i show at state fair too 
And then I also have to practice leading them and setting them up as well so they can look the best for the judge. And then during, before the show, the day of the show before it, I have to fit them, which is pulling their hair up with adhesives and painting them so that they look the best they can and you can hide their flaws with their hair. Perfect. That sounds great. Um, So obviously it's show day, you know, and you've kind of gone, explained a little bit of what um, you've done for showing and everything, but what what is your favorite part of showing, you know, cattle and goats and any of other animals that you may have done? What is your favorite thing about, you know, going into the ring and being judged on the animal? Honestly, uh, my favorite part is letting all my hard work pay off that I've done throughout the summer and showing everybody what I have done and how hard I've worked. That's awesome. And Jacob, obviously, you're my brother. I know you're really, really involved in, you know, with school and within the community. So can you tell us a little bit about or tell our listeners a little bit about what else you do besides showing livestock? So I'm the president of the FFA. I Winterset FFA chapter. I play baseball, football and golf. Um, I'm in 4-H. I'm on the 4-H Youth Council. I am on the livestock judge, my FFA's livestock judging team. I, I'm also in, involved in my church youth group. That's awesome. So you're, you sound like you are really busy outside of obviously summer and a lot of stuff goes obviously year round. Um, how do you kind of balance that work or obviously you work your, um, different clubs and as well as getting these animals ready um, for showing um i just kind of figure it out and let the day take me where i go <laughs> just the day take you where you go so then you are a senior correct yes you're gonna be a senior at winterset high school um do you know what you want do you know where life is going to then take you after high school uh, somewhere in the ag field, uh, I talked to a guy last night about uh, going to a livestock judging team at a junior college and then transferring on to senior college to do livestock judging. So somewhere in the livestock field, I will definitely be. That's awesome. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Madison. Always great to hear stories of fair time. Delaney, it takes me back to my youth. It takes me back to my boyhood there in the Madison County Fair, showing hogs. And actually, I never showed cattle at the fair. I was only hogs, but a lot of good times. Yeah, I miss it, too. I do miss it, too. And, folks, if you have pictures or stories you'd like to share about your county fair or state fair experiences, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at AgNewsDaily. Send us your thoughts there, or you can connect with us on our website, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. With that, Mike, I think we should let everybody go. Let's let them go.